once knew these two guys. Each, in their own way, had had it all. And blew it. Left with broken brains and battered bravery, having to find parts of themselves they had seen in film and cinema. But who were they anymore? If they were going to do this, it needed to be the most thorough search for identity ever undertaken. Welcome to the Every Movie Ever podcast with your hosts, Ben Groves and Rob McFarland. This episode contains spoilers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Every Movie Ever podcast. My name is Ben Groves. And my name is Rob McFarlane. Welcome to the show where two nearly middle-aged men uh, hide their mental health check-in as a movie-related podcast. Uh, and that way, welcome, welcome. we've got an activity that means that we have to speak to each other every week. And if it starts to go mm-hmm. downhill, we can sort of see yeah. and then just mercilessly mock the other one. <laughs> Plus also, getting on in age, it's important to stay active. You know exactly. what I mean? You know, we got right. to fill our evenings somehow. It's not like we've got social yeah. lives anymore. Colouring books, uh, <laughs> watching the same movie four times so that we can talk about it for an hour. Yeah, we're getting Killing bang for it. our buck out of our Netflix subscriptions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so uh, before we get to what we're doing, let's, let's ask the real reason we're here. How are you doing, Ben? I have been better, but I'm doing all right. Right. What's this about? just continuously fucking exhausted man like i've been running on fumes for a long time long time i feel like i need a week off yeah of everything right yeah yeah. i know that the second i have any time off i immediately feel guilty that i'm not doing anything productive (laughs) yeah because i feel like i'm defined by what i can bring to the table and what i can offer other people and that's where i get my value yeah it's the western disease of our self-worth being tied to our productivity to society right that's exactly it which is a really convenient thing for a capitalist system to have us all convinced of Oh, they've, it's incredibly, it's incredibly convenient. <laughs> Such a weird coincidence as well, right? It's really like, funny that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's good, almost though. like the people with money need the people without it to work to create value. It's and crazy that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so that's, that's like my weird little moral dilemma. My self-worth coming from what I can bring to the table and what I can offer other people. Yeah. Uh, but it's also fucking exhausting all yeah. the time. Yeah. Cause you're never living all the you. time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I can't have time off because I feel guilty for having time off. So I just keep going until I end up dead at forty-seven years old from a horrific heart attack that could have easily been avoided. Well, um, it's horrible to hear that you're you're doing like that, Ben. But we must get on. I mean, we've got a podcast to do, and uh, I'd hate for you to, you know, this to be about you. This and, isn't and very productive. Yeah, it's not of, very. Think productive. of the listener. We're here for the listener. I know. Ben. Right. I'm I'm just here to bring this to the table. Yeah, it's exactly. my bad. Sorry. Let's get back on it. How are you, Rob? <laughs> back to the show. Boom, boom. Finger guns. Fun, fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much better now. I'm so good. much better now. Good. Oh, no, good. Good, man. Uh, uneventful. Uh, been working. Work has been, to be fair, mental. We had a couple of days where... The, uh, the restaurant was just as well attended as a pedo's funeral Oof. and so we were like oh we got we've got all the, all the prep and then mm. all the food because obviously you can only keep the food for a certain number of days because we hadn't yeah. sold it yeah we yeah. just got we got two mental days everything got used and then it was like okay cool so this morning we just have to make everything brilliant that's what you want when everything is made from scratch like every sauce every like we, we've got hot sauce we've got to make that from scratch we've got like all jesus the, christ yeah it's insane so i mean at a point though like who who cares 
You know what I mean? I like if I want do, if I want a know? hot if I want a hot sauce and someone goes, "Here's our handcrafted artisanal." I'm like, "Yeah, but it took two hours to make. Just get me a fucking Tabasco." <laughs> How about worse. that? So much worse than that. It takes like a week. We got to ferment the chilies. Like, yeah, sure, I guess yeah. that's fine. So I've just been I've just been working at high speed, and this is my little respite. You know, fair enough, man. Fucking fair play to you. Fermenting chilies for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's very active work. You just got to put them in the jar and stare at them and go, go on, change flavor, change flavor. But they know if fucks. you're not looking, though. Exactly. And then they don't change Yeah, yeah. Flavor. They'll stop. They'll be like, right, we've yeah. got a break now. <laughs> there you go, man. Cheeky bastards. What are we doing today, Ben? Today, mate, we are back on our Christopher fucking Nolan. Whoop, whoop. Christopher fucking Nolan series. Uh, and we're up to Dunkirk. Ooh. Ooh. Dunkirk. Ooh. Dunkirk. This is going to be an interesting episode, Ben, because we've been speaking about this film. I've not been able to stop talking about this film. You, this film really got you. This is like... This is the one. This is the one. Like, out of every Nolan film so mm-hmm. far... This is the one. Which is fascinating because I think this is the Nolan film that leaves me possibly the coldest, except for following, which has got its own set of circumstances going on. It's a uh, different thing. That's like that's a like a thing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a diving board. You can't really judge it as a film, you just gotta look at it as a starting point. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, this yeah. is Nolan's reference point and everything above that, incredible. Yeah. So so yes, this is an incredible film. I I admire this film more than I enjoy this film. Okay. This is like an Aphex Twin album track. Ooh, I know what exactly you what know, you mean. I go, yeah. that's very impressive. I won't I won't be enjoying that again. <laughs> I wonder why this one hasn't got a music video. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, everything to do with this film, I go, wow, fuck me, that's incredible. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff in this episode. We are. That I find incredibly impressive. Mm. The film itself is not one that I'll go, oh, I'll watch that. Or, oh God, do you know what I'm really in the mood for watching? Mm. It's not one of them. Whereas Inception, Interstellar, all this sort of thing, I'm like, oh my God, I want to watch that. Okay, so I'm the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Mm. I was fucking dreading this film because I was like, it's just going to be Harry Styles running up and down a beach for a bit. There's going to be some planes yeah. and it's going to be another historical drama, which is fine. I mean, you weren't wrong. But it's not really my <laughs> cup of tea. I'm not wrong. I, it was all there. There yeah. was just a lot more to it. And then when I did watch it, I didn't, I couldn't have guessed mm. how much this film is like a graphic novel. Right. Yeah. A, a graphic novel done well. Yeah. It's visual storytelling mm-hmm. with zero spoon feeding. <laughs> there is nothing there to be spoon fed. It is it is mm-hmm. literally you you get out of it what you put into it, but also what you put into it is what you put into it, right? <laughs> I mean, very eloquently put. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's For me, it's a film where stuff happens in front of a camera, right? Sure. There is no more or less to it than that. If this were a graphic novel, mm-hmm. it would have little to no speech bubbles. Exactly. Taking up the frame. Exactly. The full 70 millimeter. It is Nolan at his most autistic friendly. I fucking could not agree more because this, honestly, mate, watching this film, I, mm. the first time through was fine. I was mm. like, fuck me, this is a good film, man. Like, yeah, there yeah. is a lot going on. There's a lot sort of like trickling through. Um,. But it's, on it's, the the second and third watch through, because yeah. I I've watched this four times now. Oh I just not I, honestly, I've not been able to help myself. It's like if I'm yeah, if I'm feeling a little sad, I put it yeah, on, right. and it makes me real sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If I'm feeling really good, yeah, I put it on, 
And it makes me real sad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that film that is kind of like, it's real sad. Mm-hmm. And then just goosebump, ecstatic, like, holy shit. The realization that so much was given up by so few yeah. to protect so many. Yeah. While the people in the ivory tower back home don't even don't even appear in the film. They don't care. No. Oh, they just don't. send us thirty thousand of the three hundred thousand <laughs> soldiers you have on that beach, and that'll do. We've already given up on them. They're you know. Yeah. What the bonus. fuck, man? Dude, the whole film just blows me away, left, right, and yeah. centre. Each time I watch it, I catch different shit, and there's there's I, it. Broke me countless times. Let's break it down for those listeners that uh, haven't seen the film. But please go and fucking watch it. Yeah, obviously, usual spoilers apply. This is one of Ben's all-time favourites now, by the sounds of it, in Nolan's catalogue. So, Not Nolan's catalogue, top five films of all time. Including Interstellar that we watched uh, two weeks ago. That got knocked out. That got knocked out. (laughs) Dunkirk's replaced Interstellar in my top five. Okay, fine. So you watch Interstellar again. Interstellar's like like six. Maybe seven. (laughs) Like eight, maybe. Dunkirk (laughs) is three plots across three timelines. The plot yes. being the beaches of Dunkirk, the mm-hmm. civilian ships sailing over to help ferry the soldiers back to uh, safety from the beaches, yep. and finally the Spitfire pilots dogfighting the German Luftwaffe yep. in the skies. Now, given Nolan's penchant for inventive storytelling, and fucking... Penchant or, or penchant? Penchant. There we are, thank you. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Let me try that again. Now, given Nolan's penchant no, for in. inventive storytelling, thank you... <laughs> And fucking with people's <laughs> perception of time, each one of these plots is told over varying time spans. And that's right, dear listener, you fucking guessed it. They interweave. Really? Yes. Christopher Nolan's got interweaving timelines in one of his oh, films. Oh, shocking. What shocking. the fuck? He's never done that before. But here's where it gets really fucky, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the army plot, which mm. is obviously on the beaches, uh, yeah, yeah. set around the mole, which is the uh, a concrete jettison where they were that they were using for the the naval ships to come in, load the people, send them away. Right. Um, it's not in the context of most other films referring to a small mammal that digs holes or a guy that's not on your team but is pretending to be. It's not among us. A. It's it's, yeah, it's a wooden okay. pier. There was two examples there. You said most famously and then went with Rodent. And I was like, <laughs> I've not seen one film about a literal mole. Wind I've of the only Willows. seen spy films. Wind of the Willows. <laughs> Do I look like the sort of person that is going to sit down and, and just pop on. Does it look like I have a penchant for Wind of the Willows? <laughs> I can imagine you looking at the cover of Wind of the Willows, seeing an animal in a waistcoat and going, no, posh, and then just frisbeeing the <laughs> yeah, That's exactly it. How dare you come in with your waistcoat fascist statements? Just and yet, you know, and I'm going to argue that you have fallen in love with this film, which is Christopher Nolan at his most Tory conservative. Mm. Please go on. <laughs> okay you're almost right i think he i think it can be it appeals to both sides i'll come back to it yeah so the first bit uh, the beach is the army which is set around the mole mm-hmm. which is a, a timeline of one week so all the timelines are set in uh in relation to the evacuation's end yes so the mole the the army is one week then you have the navy which is obviously the British ships yep. sailing over to rescue the the soldiers. That's told over one day. Yeah, and that's the and civilian have... ships that the Navy in the real evacuation uh, requisition, civilian yes. small ships, they call it the little ships program. And the vast mm. majority of them were sailed by trained Navy men or members of the military. Yes. And then there was a small proportion of them that were civilians through and through who were just given an, a nice little flag and said, go get some people off a, off a beach. Yeah, and here's some life jackets, yeah. fuck off. 
And Mark chop, chop. Rylance, who is in this film, is one of these civilian sailors who goes, takes That's a young lad Sir with him. Mark Sorry, Rylance, Sir Mark Rylance. Thank you. Uh, who takes his son uh, and uh, a young lad. Uh, it's not his son, is it? Just two young lads, I think. No, one's his son. One's his son. George is his son. Yeah, yeah. George is his son. And then uh, a young lad played by Barry Keoghan. <laughs> oh, you're gonna you're gonna risk this one again, eh? Yeah, I am. After I you am. got ripped into arsehole on TikTok for about six months over that one. Yeah, it's, you know what? It's unlocked a new kink. I just love how do you, strangers how do you pronounce on the it? internet. Keoghan. You sure? I mean, I've been told six hundred thousand. Let times us know in that. the comments. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Uh, and then we've got the RAF plot, which is the Spitfire pilots dogfighting, which is fucking dope as shit. It is indeed. It's Tom Hardy. Insanely, insanely good storyline, uh, which takes place over one hour. Yeah. And each story takes place in relation to the evacuation's end. Yeah. Now, I, you mentioned the RAF pilots, and that's the thing I want to go into first. But just to round out the bits of education for the listeners who may not have seen this seen what world war Two or the film the film i mean not, you. You, none of us have seen world war Two except the very elderly and i don't think our looking at our age demographics on podcast distributor i don't think we've got mm-hmm. many in that age age group but we'll see we'll see there might be a couple there might be i doubt it uh this came out in 2017 straight off uh interstellar he didn't do any superhero movies between them in, in a rare move for christopher Nolan, he didn't go off and make a batman movie he went made mm-hmm. interstellar and then he made this. Awesome. And this might surprise you. This movie had a budget of between 100 and 150 mil. Okay. It looks about five times that. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be <laughs> fucking way bigger than that. Yeah, no, it's not. And we'll get into a lot of the reasons why not. I, do you know? It's because he's on the breadline now. It's because he's on the breadline. He only yeah, got yeah, the 20 yeah. mil from the last lot. He's on the breadline, <laughs> mate. He's no, 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 no. It back. The 180 mil from the last lot because he got 20% of the gross on Interstellar. Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. My bad. Yeah. 20 mil I didn't just, mean to undersell him. 20, 20 mil was just his per DM. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. How this, does he survive? This made 525 million at the box office, which makes it the highest ever grossing World War II movie, above Saving Private Ryan. Ooh. Understandably. Yeah. Uh, now, the Spitfire pilots you mentioned in the air. Yes. Yes. Tom Hardy mm-hmm. as the RAF pilot. Mm-hmm. He was really reluctant to take the role. He was like, "Why?" Because he was like, "I don't. I'm not sure how I can do a film with a mask on my face for the entire film." All right, Bane. And then that's literally what Christopher <laughs> Nolan said. <laughs> he was like, "My guy, the reason I'm asking you is because you're the only actor I can guarantee will be able to do this role with just your eyes." <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking amazing. I'm trying to blag the director of your last fucking superhero movie. No, I can't do that, mate. There's a mask on my face. Uh, Bitch. (laughs) Go watch my last movie starring you. you. Yeah. What the fuck are you saying to me? Uh but the 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 whole thing in there is is he's there acting with his eyes mm-hmm. with a big old IMAX camera in his face. Mm-hmm. Now how did they get those interior shots, do you think, of him <laughs> in the air? I have given that literally zero thought. <laughs> but thinking about it now, it's actually ridiculous. Yeah, so uh How does that work? Hoyt Van Hoyten, the cinematographer for this movie. Sure. Is a fucking beast. Did he, honey, uh, shrunk the kids himself? No, like- basically, basically, yes. He learned. <laughs> he, he did something far more impressive. He learned how to shoulder carry an IMAX camera, so that he could shoot. Right. <laughs> so he could shoot a how large. How do you portion- even learn that? 
Do you just I'm walk just... around the street like strapped with a mini fridge? Before like, what we, the fuck? Before we started the film, he walked the length of Dunkirk Beach with one of the cameras on his shoulder <laughs> to see if he could do a day's filming. Right? Fuck me, man. It is the size of a mini fridge. And for the aerial shots, they had to build... Because they're real Spitfires, or in some cases, real planes that they can put a shell on that makes it look like a real Spitfire. Oh, wow. So they can have two pilots so that the actors are in the front seat. So all the close-up shots of actors, large portion of them are them actually in the air with an IMAX camera just on the wing, bolted on. And then Hoyt Van Hoyten got in touch with IMAX and Panavision and went, can you build a lens that goes around corners? (laughs) 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 And so they, they built new lenses for the IMAX camera that were periscopic that could go around corners so it could be on the wing and then extend into the cockpit and then do a little turn so you could get all those interior shots. Fuck me, man. To the point where when one of the planes is supposed to go down... Yeah. And they've got a camera strapped to it. It went down yeah. like a thousand times quicker than they expected it to with the IMAX camera and the analog film with all the shots on it. Wait, so they, like when it goes down like into the fucking ocean? Into the like sea. One of the ones- yeah, yeah, into the sea. What the fuck, man? <laughs> so there's literally a shot in here in the film that they used that had to be rescued from the bottom of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Sent drenched, covered in seawater to America to get developed wet. And then right. that shot was used in the film. That's so I think this is now incredible. The, this is literally the wettest film. I was going to say last week you said, "Is this the wettest film?" And we've already but now we have our it, fucking yeah. answer. Nice, Dunkirk's the wettest film, legitimately a thousand percent. Yeah, there were three Spitfires costing six million each, provided by a billionaire called Dan Friedkin, who flew the plane himself in the in the scene where it lands on Dunkirk Beach. No fucking way, man. And it was the first Spitfire to do that since the war. And then it got stuck on the beach and they had 45 minutes before the tide came in. They had to dig it out. Fuck me, mate. Do you ever just just look at something and go, maybe it's a bit much? (laughs) Again, it's stuff that I, I look at. And when I watch the making of, I go, okay, this is incredibly admirable, but it still just leaves me a little cold because of that sort of lack of dialogue that lack of character arc that lack of emotional meat got you which you love i dude this was like that for me makes it better in some senses because each character arc in this film is so well fleshed out with its visual storytelling like every small detail and every emotion and every fucking moment of like panic and desperation and guilt and shame and Mm. You get all of this captured just through their fucking facial muscles, right? And it is... Oh, the Kenneth Branagh scene where... Frankenstein on the dock. Yeah. What? Sorry, Frankenstein. Frankenstein on the dock. Well, you watched Kenneth the right Branagh. film. Victor, Victor von Frank. He oh, did of course he did. Mary yes, Shelley yes. Thing, right? <laughs> I was just like, what the... Wait, <laughs> maybe Ben enjoyed this because he watched a different movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, that's yeah. a wet film. That's there's a loads wet, of wet in that. No, yeah, a, that's a very wet film. Yeah. Kenneth yeah, Branagh does Kenneth wet Branagh. films. He does uh, he, loads of wet films. But he's incredible in this. He is... He's one of I these films... I didn't realise it was him until it was far too late <laughs> in the movie and I was like, oh shit, that's Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's a Shakespeare guy and like, whenever you bring a Shakespeare guy to a Hollywood movie, yeah. they just blow everyone else out of the water and you're like, oh, they've been doing like... Yeah. ...proper theatre for decades. Yeah, and yeah, And he probably just turned up like five minutes before the fucking shot was like, oh, where's the shot? Are we going now? Yeah, fine. 
put his costume on, just bang, got it, one take, fucked off again. <laughs> he almost Gary Oldman'd me in this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. My my thing with Gary Oldman is I think he might be the the greatest actor that exists today mm-hmm. because he's in everything and no and one realizes it. I don't know that it's yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like ever. He he's just, cursed. He just, he's cursed to be so good that no one knows who he is. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> fucking incredible because on every rewatch I'm like, oh shit, he's in Gary this. Gary Oldman. Yeah. Oh shit. He's in yeah. this. You watch Fifth Element. Oh yeah, that's Gary Oldman. I forgot. Fifth <laughs> Element. Fuck me. He is in that. <laughs> Do you see why? Like that's what I'm saying. Yep. Holy shit, I haven't thought about that film in a minute. Oh, it's a great film. But yeah, so Kenneth Branagh, fucking Gary Oldman me in this, where it got to a point, Mm -hmm. it was the moment where he sees, this is so far into the film, I'm embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he looks through the binoculars and he sees all the little ships of Dunkirk, you know, all the the civilian vessels on the the Mm. horizon. And at this point, they're fucked. It is so desolate. There is no, no fucking... No hope for anyone. Yeah, the the German army has totally surrounded the town, and the only reason they're still alive is because there are literal thousands of French army men sacrificing yeah. their lives to try and protect yeah. the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where Kenneth Branagh is desperately trying to get these men off the beach yeah. to fill a thirty thousand men quota. It's so savage. Out of the three hundred thousand men that he has on his beach, and it's the the emotional revelation of seeing the civilian ships on the mm-hmm. horizon. But then immediately after that, as well, you get the fucking the silently gliding mm. Spitfire of Tom Hardy, dude. So like, there's a moment in this film where they're all on the the mole, which is this big pier into the beach. They've not long seen the civilian ships. Bearing in mind that Kenneth Branagh's one is the one that takes a week. Mm. And it's towards the end of the evacuation. Now we're in the end of the film. And it's all jolly. And he's like, oh yeah, great. This is great. And there's literally the pier is packed with people. And there's this telltale noise, that screaming of like a Stuka dive bomber. Right. And he looks Mm. up in the sky. It's directly above them. And there's this beautiful shot, almost from like the dive bomber's perspective, but close to Branagh's face. And you see him sort of look up at his, his, what he's sure is going to be his death. Yeah, and he's trying to do it with like anger and pride and like mm. a sense of dignity, and then it just when you hear the bang, it just crumbles into that like he's completely unable to just be a human and be scared. Mm. Uh, oh, it's heartbreak! Like he breaks my heart with subtle facial movements. Yeah, and then it turns out that the bang you heard was the dive bomber being shot down by Tom Hardy's fuelless, completely fucked. Yeah, Spitfire that's just gliding on whatever momentum it's got left mm-hmm. from when its engines ran out six, seven minutes ago. I tell you what, though, mate, that moment right there for mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh, we see that with every single main character. We get one moment with every character where they actively decide mm. that their self-preservation isn't as important as helping their fellow man. And it's it's these moments, mate, that fucking broke me really like dude you cried I, uh, d- fucking tom hardy makes me cry twice oh my god i did honestly what are the two times <sighs> okay so tom hardy's moment this is gonna be really difficult one, you're, yeah I'm, I'm on a sad one right now this is gonna be rough all right so just just get into the emotions behind what happened ben <laughs> fuck you man my emotions are showing and i'm trying to fucking like i'm trying to close them away all right uh-huh. just let me just let me get yeah. this yeah so tom hardy he's his fuel gauge is broken. He can he can no longer tell how much fuel he has left to stay in the air. Yeah. Right, he's he's going off maths based on how how yes. much he had, how much he had, how much yeah. his mate. Had. And this is like a while ago. His mate gets shot down, so he's now having yeah he's having to just like 
figure out the forecast of like, oh, yeah. Using roughly fifteen gallons an hour or whatever it is, I don't know the maths. Yeah, yeah. So he's got fifteen. He's got fifteen gallons left in his tank, and he's thinking. He, he gets to a point where the, the, the plane jutters a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to get low on fuel. You know, I'm getting low on fuel here." Yeah. And out of his rear view mirror, he sees uh, what the fuck are those bombers called? Luftwaffers. Yeah, the stupid Luftwaffe. Yeah, yeah. Big, big, fat, fat fucking bomber. Big fat bombers that are out on the sea. They're taking mm-hmm. out the naval ships, right? Which is obviously like. The ones that are rescuing the soldiers, yeah. and he sees this Luftwaffe in his in his rearview mirror, and he's like, "I can do something about that, mm-hmm. or I can save myself and make sure that I get home and land safely." Yeah, and there is a couple of shots that cuts to him, and you can actively see him weighing up. Yeah, do I go home, or do I do I do my job? Do I help mm-hmm. out in any way I can? And it's it's almost like Christopher Nolan leaves you in this space. Where you get to weigh up all the fucking horrible shit yeah. that you've seen. 300,000 soldiers on the beach. Yep. Kenneth Branagh's desperately trying to get everyone off as much as he can, but they're getting <laughs> <laughs> shit trying to do out. what? Let's not get into it. I'm getting emotional. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> trying Kenneth. to get everyone off the mole. All right. Okay. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> it's not just running around sucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'd pay to see that film. That's doing, Kirk. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> sequel. There's a porn parody of this somewhere, isn't there? there it's is, going to yeah, be yeah. horrible. Um, and you see the moment where he's weighing up these options mm. and he fucking, he flicks his reserve fuel and he's like, fuck it. I'm not going back. Yeah. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to do my part. Flicks the reserve fuel, turns around, can fights tooth and nail yeah. to keep these boats free, which he does successfully, which is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And then the second moment is where he is completely out of fuel. Mm-hmm. He's gliding over the beach and all the soldiers don't hear the engines. They mm-hmm. just see this plane. They're like, we are fucked. That is doing mm-hmm. nothing. Like he's here, but For what? the fuck are we going to do like this? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's the point? And you see it all on their faces. And then Kenneth Branagh has his moment. Yeah. His moment of being like, this is it. This is what I chose to do. This I gave my up my self-preservation yep. for my men. Yep. And Tom Hardy sweeps in and fucking does it to just enormous roars yeah. of like cheers yeah, and shit yeah. on the beach. It's a proper cathartic moment, that. Dude. But he knows that he's not going back yeah. because he's not going to be able to land it in safe space. Nope. So he just keeps gliding as far as he can. Lands on a beach. There's a beautiful moment before he lands where he pops the cockpit and he mm-hmm. takes his mask off and he takes the thing and he just enjoys the peace. He does. It's the last moment mm. of serenity that he knows that he's... <laughs> probably ever, ever gonna, gonna have. have yeah so he lands on the beach sets his plane on fire to make sure that, that you know that nothing can be salvaged yeah. from it and then just awaits his fate because he's mm. well into german territory but he yeah. knows that he's done a good job and he's saved hundreds of thousands of people yeah and that shit breaks me <laughs> and my voice is wobbling <laughs> so let's get on to your next point <laughs> which would be lovely so are you do you know what a shepherd tone is is that like a sepia tone? Is that like a hipster thing? It's a hipster thing. No, it's not. It's a, it's an auditory <laughs> illusion, right? I've, I've sent you a little audio file, and I, this is what the listener at home is going to be hearing under us talk. Uh, so just hit play, and just leave it playing while we chat. Oh, okay. So it's constantly just going like up and up and up and up and up yeah, and up, yeah, and up yeah. right? And it will never get there. So we're just going to leave it playing, because it's really... Uh, can we not? Because this is no, really no, fucking no. stressful. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. So this film, Dunkirk uses this in the soundtrack all the time. Yeah. Right? The soundtrack's built around this. 
But what's incredibly clever about Nolan is the way this works is that there's a high note, a medium note, and a bass note. Mm-hmm. And so as the high note gets too high for you to hear, the middle note becomes the new high note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a new bass note is put underneath. So there's always this three, and one is always rising in tension as the other one's fading off. And in, in, in this film... You've got <laughs> watching you visually struggle. Honestly, man, it's really fucking stressful. I'm really trying. I'm, t- I'm going to stop. Okay, stop. Because right. I have to. Because literally, that was getting me sweaty. Um, but that's what this film does. You have your three scenarios, and as yeah. one's getting, as one is building tension, oh my god, the other one is reaching peak tension. So you've got someone's Fuck crashing me, while someone's doing something mundane. So there's never a lull in the pacing because there's always one of the three shit is kicking off. And then when shit stops kicking off, one of the others starts kicking off. You- <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be the insightful one this episode. Do you know how much I've written for this shit? Do you know how much I've written for this shit? I'm six pages deep yeah. on this shit. I, I took this like it was a fucking exam, mate. His, his script for this film was only 70 pages, so you've written 10% of the script for this film. Fuck. <laughs> Nolan, give me a shout, man. You know what I mean? I did this for fun. For fun, exactly. son. Also, fuck Nolan, because A, no man has the right to be in this much in my feels. <laughs> B, no man has the right to just continuously keep fucking me over with these mm-hmm. films. Like... Every film that he does, there's always like, there's always like this one little nugget Mm -hmm. of, yeah, but this really mundane aspect of filmmaking ties the entire story together. And unless you pick up on it, you'll just die never knowing it. And it's like, well, now I feel like I'm a prospector chipping away at every fucking (laughs) film to try and find a little golden nugget. It's exactly what it is. That's why I love him. Fuck that guy. That's why I love him. I love him too. The worst thing is, right, is I've had the wrong impression of Christopher Nolan this entire yeah. time, and I feel like I need to apologise. <laughs> I, in my mind, right, I've <laughs> I struggled with interviews with him because I only ever saw like little fucking clips, yeah, and I was like, holy shit, that guy is posh, yeah, way too pompous for my liking. But do you yeah. know what? He's, he's my not. fucking boy. <laughs> he's my actual boy. Do you know, I, there was a there was an interview that came out recently where he's mm. talking about his favourite films. Yeah. Do you know what film was up there, Rob? Oh, uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, yeah. The Rick, Ballad of Ricky, Ricky Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> yeah. I heard Christopher Nolan say, <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> that blew my fuck. I was like, yes, I've, I've realised, I think he's one of those people whose sense of humour is too offensive and too dry for the interview format, so he can't do any yeah. of it. I it's crazy a, subtle as well. I watched a Q&A with, uh, with him about this film. And they had the audience section and he went, they went, uh, somebody stood up and they went, oh, um, I noticed that you don't show much of the enemy in, in this film. Is that because you wanted to, is that because they weren't important or you were trying to say a thing about what it's like to fight in a war? And he just went, I just couldn't ever remember if we were fighting Germans in World War II, so I just suppressed <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and then somebody else stood up and they were like, oh, um, <laughs> this is this is a part of World War Two that's almost unknown in um it's virtually unknown in America. So so how did you how did you find pitching something that's that's a, a complete mystery to Americans? And you went, Well fucking not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love him so yeah. much, man. So yeah. fucking much. Okay, so we've done the Tom Hardy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to know the next bit that gets me, that got me 
Like, I do. Just fucked up. Like, this bit is uncontrollable. Right. And it's it's only on my second time through that I noticed it, right? Mm-hmm. So, Sir Mark Rylance's character. Yes. It's actually based on a real person. Is he? It's based on a real person. Lightaller. Lightaller? Lightaller. Mm-hmm. He was a second officer and most senior surviving crew member of the RMS Titanic. No way. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he took uh, took his crew, his son, and a sea scout. Right. Uh, he went and picked up survivors from a returning motor cruiser, mm-hmm. took them back to Dunkirk, uh, giving them the additional pleasure of again facing the hell that they had only just left. <laughs> uh, his, his youngest son, Brian... Mm-hmm. Uh, lost flying his Blenheim in the first air raid on Wilhelm's Wilhelm's Haven. Right. So he died in the RAS, yeah, his yeah. first son. Right. Exactly the same as fucking okay, Mark yeah, Rylan's character. This. But here's the kicker. Right. His son, who was the pilot, who died mm. in real life, uh, he, he was the one that taught him the evasive tactics and gave him advice on how to evade no way. air attacks in the sea. Uh, and he used ah. them to evade a German fighter that made three unsuccessful attempts to sink his boat and then gave up and it flew away because he, he was just, just unsuccessful. Just got annoyed. Yeah. Can you imagine the pilot just getting like, oh, do you know what, fuck this guy. <laughs> do, you want to know, do you want to know the best thing about Lightala's story? Right. When he got back to England mm. on his little ship, the Navy yeah. was so stunned by how many people he fit on this tiny boat. His boat would have been overcrowded at 55 people, right? Right, yeah. My man brought back 130 people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> over double yeah. an overcrowded. Apparently, as legend goes, there mm. were seven soldiers stood in the bathtub mm. the entire way home. Oh, my God. Just to get back. Jesus Christ. Now, That's insane. So Mark Rylance's character is based on a real person, right? And when you yeah. know that, you go into the film on my second watch through after learning this. Yeah. And you see this bit where him and his son are like, we're going we're gonna to take the ship. We're going to go for it. Mm. And the reason he does it is because he lost his son. In the, in the film, he lost yeah. his son in the second week of the war, right? Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to see if I can save some people. When the pilot crash lands in the sea mm. and George is like, Dad, there's no yeah. shoot, he's dead. And Mark Rylan has this moment where he turns around and screams, he might be fucking alive, goddammit. Yeah, I yeah. need to try and help. And he's he's got this raw, yeah, it just is. unfucking tethered trauma that just spills out. And he's like, I'm going to fucking help him. Powerful. Dude, breaks me. I see what's that's interesting. It's interesting because... My the the bit that gets I think the the bit that I appreciate the most emotionally in this film mm. is Killian Murphy is an absolute beast in any job you give him. Yeah, playing a shell shocked soldier on Mark Rylance's boat. There's a heartbreaking moment where he get begins to panic and he he pushes people out of his way and Barry Keoghan's character falls Barry down. Barry Keoghan. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Let us know in the comments. <laughs> oh, not this again. Uh, <clears throat> Barry Keoghan's character falls down a flight of stairs, hits his head, and rapidly begins to lose vision, ability to walk, and dies. And they don't tell the Killian Murphy character that that's what happened. 
when he asks later, is the boy all right? And the young lad looks at him and goes, yeah, he's fine. And he's just found out his mate's died. But he look, he, he, he doesn't want to add. He, there is no benefit to this soldier who's already totally fucked knowing that he accidentally killed a child in a moment of panic. And Mark Rylance looks at his son and just does the little nod of like, that was a grown and mature thing to do. And it's the it's the heartbreak of what's happened mixed with the dignity of, but we don't need to add to this man's suffering. He's been through enough. It that is, really just, gets me. It's the fucking, it's the saving grace for Killian Murphy though, because he's already, he's fucking, he's shell-shocked. Yeah. He's fucked up. He's totally I mean, fucked. He made, a, he made a mistake completely yeah. like, Innocent. He was just trying to push yeah. people out of his. He was wanting yeah, he he just, space. Like he needed a bit of space. He didn't do it on purpose. And mm-hmm. then to save him the guilt and the shame that I, he's obviously already feeling. Yeah, he was desperate to get that ship turned around. He was yeah. fucking violent about it. Yeah. Jesus. Christ. Speaking it's of film, man. Speaking of that boat being crowded, and again coming back to why I admire this film, even if I don't enjoy it as much as I do other Nolan movies, the Moonstone, the boat in question, yeah, isn't a set. It's a real boat in the middle of the sea. Yes. Anytime you can see the majority of the boat, I hadn't okay. I hadn't clocked that there is an entire Hollywood film crew having to fit on what's left of the boat that's not in shot. Oh shit, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and so because because <laughs> it's all done practically, like the logistics on this movie, there were like every ship had support ships. And if you wanted to shoot something, like the scene where um, there's a minesweeper and there's sailors having to, to swim from the minesweeper to the little ships with yeah. planes, yeah, it's all yeah. done in the sea. There's no water tank, so they have to just drive all the boats to location in the middle of the sea, hope the weather's all right, hope the water's all right, get a shit ton of extras in the sea, swimming across the sea... And then every time they change angle, they have to make sure all the other boats like that have got the camera crew and like everything else on, they have to be they have to move to not be in the shot. Jesus Christ, man. And you'd go out there and you'd be like, Oh well, we got out there, we've set up, yeah, everyone's ready, extras are in the water. Oh shit, the weather's changed. Right, we'll try again tomorrow. I feel like every <laughs> Nolan movie it's just with it. Like, he's fucking planning meetings. Like pre-production mm. with Nolan must be a fucking nightmare. Oh, it's insane. Because the guy who's in charge of like logistics is sitting yeah. there going, "What fucking miracle am I going to have to pull out my arsehole this time?" And then the insurance guy is sitting there just rubbing his hands, going, "Fucking hey, Christmas bonus time again. What do you need insurance for? Sorry, a hundred and ninety-five people in the middle of the English Channel yeah. swimming between boats covered in oil whilst planes fly overhead. And how many IMAX cameras? Four." Got you. Full Hollywood crew on the back of a tiny ship. Got you. Brilliant. That one guy literally has, the one salesman for the yep. insurance company has literally made an entire living off just he's, Nolan he's movies. He's made generational wealth. His grandkids yeah, won't have dude, to work. Uh, legitimately. He Even, has to work like five days a year yeah. just to talk to Nolan yeah. and then just fuck off. Even even the mole, the, the wooden pier that's yeah. a kilometre long, yeah, yeah, no longer exists at Dunkirk. They had to build it for the film. Of course they it, did. But it had to be structurally sound enough to support the weight of that many actors and the sea. And then to also have parts of it exploded <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in camera. <laughs> but I think, I think, 
All of that's incredibly impressive. What leaves me cold about it is the thing you spoke about, the visual storytelling. Nolan is famously, like you said, he he writes characters that are very complex. They're n- mm-hmm. neither right nor wrong. They're morally ambiguous. Some of them. Some of them. Some of them are either way, way yeah, yeah. fleshed out to the point where you feel like you know them personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leaving other characters in those films like 2D paper cutouts of shadows. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And I yeah. feel like this is a visual film. Mm. It's it's almost like the anti-following, right? Following is all plot and it looks like shit. Okay. And it sounds like shit. <laughs> it it's does. just it's although uh, it's plot trick. The saucepan dropping is still my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite thing it's, in film. It's a thousand percent character and plot mm. and he does what he can do with, with the single camera that he has and the, the borrowed locations. Yes. This is this is all told through visuals. You don't get empathy with the characters because you know them. You don't. And you know their backstory and you know their emotion. Every every bit of danger is entirely visually understandable. Yeah. There is a hole in a pier and there is a plank across it and you have a stretcher. Yeah. That's a very intuitively understandable bit of emotional threat. Yes. A same with being in a Spitfire that's sinking and your cockpit won't open. Yes. They're all relatable experiences to humans that you don't really know. So they're, they're almost yeah. like audience surrogates. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly why I fucking adore it, because it's like it's like main character cosplay yeah. in real time. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, situa- the situation around the event is built up to a point of where you're like, fuck, what would I do in that situation? Yes. And then you're presented with that moment and you're like, what would I do in this situation? <laughs> and you watch people having mm. to weigh up the choices in their heads mm-hmm. whilst you're doing the exact fucking same thing. Yeah. And it is insanely, it, it's for me personally, yeah. it's the most fun yes. you can have in World War Two, <laughs> it's not a sentence that I thought I would ever say yeah, aloud. It's it's a, it's a weird sort of. He gives an objective reality of the situation by giving you a variety of subjective experiences. So he's yes. not giving you one story that's his opinion on how it happened. No, 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 no. He's giving you six or seven or eight or nine short little subjective experiences and you draw your own objective truth based on what you collect from all of them. Exactly. And then every event ties together. Yes. But only in ways that you deem it tying it together. Yes. Yes. And that's... Which is fantastic. It's admirable, but it just didn't catch me in the way that Interstellar did where I'm there watching a man be broken by, you know, having abandoned his children for all the right by reasons. By his own choices. It, by his own choices. Right. <laughs> right? There's no one really suffering for their own mistakes, which is what exactly. I really like to That's see. I, mean. I want to yeah. see that. I want to see that guilt. Exactly. I want to see that guilt, but then I yeah. want to see the people that they fucked over. I want to see them upset over yeah. decades and, and not holding back with yeah, the emotional. It didn't, it didn't have any of that, and that's why it lost the Oscar. <laughs> what do you mean it lost the Oscar? Uh, he was up for best director and didn't get it. How? Shape of Water, mate. What one? Shape of Water, mate. Shape of Water. Yeah. Sally Hawkins, Bathwank. Mm-hmm. Beat out yeah. Frankenstein on the mole. I mean, it beat out Sally Hawkins. Bane in first, a plane. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bane in a plane. Bane, Bane in a plane. Bane in a plane. Bane in a plane. Bane. There you go. Bane. 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 This is the second time that Bane's been in a plane. And the second time that Bane's been in a plane in a Nolan movie. 
Oh, very true. Mm. Bane loves being in a plane. Bane loves planes. But how the fuck... I'm sorry. So, Shape of Water. Yeah. Sally Hawkins, Bath Wanking. Yeah. Beat out Dunkirk. Yes. For Best Director. Yes. Okay. I can't... I'm, I struggle to watch anything with Sally Hawkins in now without seeing the Bath Wanking. <laughs> it's impossible for me to watch Paddington <laughs> because Shape of Water has fucking ruined me. I don't understand... Mm. I do understand. Shape of Water is an incredible film. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But. Mm hmm. Bestiality. Yeah. Over <laughs> one of the most heartbreaking. Yeah. World War II movies I've ever seen in my entire life. You say it's heartbreaking. I, I, I think it's. I think it could be argued, and I have in the start of this episode, it is Nolan at his most Tory conservative. I. So. There's there's a lot of like I get Benjamin that. Britten being played over swooping shots of our glorious I get that. boys. I do, I do, there's I get very that. Few, there's, there are literally no women or people of color in this film whatsoever. There is one woman on a boat. Uh, oh. She's stood very still as the the boats are coming in, and I noticed her because I was like, "Oh shit, that's a lady." <laughs> yeah, there's one black guy, and there's nurses. Uh, the jam bread. There's a nurse giving blankets and jam bread. There we go. <laughs> I think the man. I think it was a man giving out the tea, though. <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you okay. have to be a right wing conservative I, Tory to enjoy this film. I'm just saying that if you are, it's likely that you will. <laughs> I guarantee that you get something from this film. Yeah, this is why I love it, right? Because I got the opposite from that. I got. I witnessed people making choices mm-hmm. that were going to fuck themselves over yeah. in order to protect the greater good, like the, yeah. the bigger amount of people. The greater that needed good. Help. The greater good. One of us. Um, Tom Hardy literally signs his life away to to get rid of Obama for the beaches, right? Yeah. He, he's done that completely. Kenneth Branagh stands on the fucking end of the mole for literally a week. Yes. To make sure that his boys get off. And he's under the instruction to only get 30,000 off. And that is yep. disgusting to him. He's like, fucking no shot. Yeah, yeah. There's 300,000 people on this beach. I'm in charge of getting them out. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting fucking 10%. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've then got the soldiers who are in such a shit position, like just mm-hmm. the worst fucking position of their entire lives. They are petrified, desperate to escape. They are shit scared that fucking, the British public are going to go, these boys failed, we fucking hate them, we're not going to look at them in the streets. But then you've got the ivory tower yeah. There's nowhere to be seen in this film dictating all this bullshit that you're watching mm. cripple these guys in front of your face. It was yeah. the polar opposite to me. Like it was just it it fueled a little fucking punk voice in the back of my head being like burn the fucking towers down. There's a lovely juxtaposition <laughs> where they have the famous fight them on the beaches speech by Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. But rather than him the audio recording of him reading it out, it's yep. the young soldier who's been through hell reading it out. Exactly, and as he re- as he goes further on, he just sounds more and more confused by it. Yeah. Like, what? What do you yeah. mean? If you've not, you you don't understand what this is. You don't understand exactly. what I've just been through. And it's that moment there. But then you counteract that with the with the shot of Hardy's burning Spitfire, and you're like, okay, these these are quite resilient fuckers, mind you. <laughs> I do. I think it's all from the perspective of. I think the sweeping shots. With you know the patriotic music and shit like this, it's from the perspective of what it means for the person that we're yeah. looking at in that moment. Okay, like yeah, when we're fair. watching Tom Hardy, he's very fucking patriotic because they're his countrymen mm-hmm. that he has to choose on whether to abandon or at least fucking try and help out with. 
Do you know okay. what I mean? Because who else yeah. is going to do it? That's you a can fair see point. everyone's struggling. But you make a great point as well because it will appeal to the the <laughs> fucking you know the, the Tory sided sort of yeah mm. uh, jolly good show Winston great. Did you but spot the, the Michael Caine cameo in this? Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Did you? He plays. I didn't the, spot him. I heard him. Heard him. Yeah, he's heard the uh, he's the uh, fighter command, RAF command that speaks to mm. Tom Hardy over over the wireless over the radio. Uh, and it's a deliberate shout out because he was in a film called Battle of Britain, which was a huge dogfight movie. Uh, sort of classic dogfight movie that was used as a visual reference for this film, but also for Star Wars by George Lucas. Okay. Uh, and an even stranger fact is, you know the Stuka dive bomber that nearly shit mixes Kenneth Branagh on the on the mole? And yes. that noise they make, that... Oh, the screaming. Yeah, yeah, the screaming. Yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah. a that wasn't a feature like a design of the plane. They built that in intentionally. There were little propellers <laughs> built into the wings. <laughs> Fuck me, man. So that when they got to a certain speed, it were only when they dove to drop yeah. the bomb. Yeah. Uh it would scare the shit out of whoever was on the ground. I mean, that's just that's good engineering, but at the same time, what fucking psychopath dreamed right. that up? So basically some Nazi psychopath is the reason TIE fighters sound cool. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know how to react to this correctly because <laughs> I can't go wow that's awesome because I'm like high five and a Nazi scientist engineer yeah. but then also TIE fighters do sound cool they do sound cool exactly mm. cool good good do you, you want to play a game I I've brought one right I'm, it's not my strongest game right but I thought it could be fun Harry Styles is in this film Rob Harry Styles is in this film. And actually, before we get to the game... Mm-hmm. I love uh, how you've incited the game and yeah, then yeah, brought us immediately back out of it. Because I want to say about Harry Styles, uh, One Direction, I worked with him once uh, in One Direction uh, when I was a, a assistant engineer. They came in to do an acoustic version of That's What Makes You Beautiful. And it was a bizarre, bizarre scenario where they were like a gang of 15-year-olds running around being mental dickheads because they were right. hooked, hooked off on Skittles and M&Ms. And then just like a team of adult people just pandering to every single bit of it, going, huh, you're so charming. And I'm like, you are ruining these people. So the fact that, <laughs> the fact that Harry Styles has come out a semi-functional artist is, is appreciable. But I love the fact that Nolan cast him in this film as the least likable person on screen. He's got his reasons for being that way. He's a nineteen-year-old, yeah. desperately scared, yeah. wants to go home. All of it's, but it, of all the people in this film, mm-hmm. he casts the pop star as the pop star as the person you'd have the most trouble having a point with. <laughs> and, I, I, and I like the fact that Harry Styles embraced it and went, "Yeah, I can be a cunt." Do you know what? <laughs> I had this exact same thought, mate. I, so I looked into it. I looked into his casting choice of Harry Styles because so I was like, is this some sort of stunt casting? Get the stunt youth in. where he's like, he's going solo, so Nolan gets X amount of million mm-hmm. to, to put him in his movie and make him a bigger name. Yeah. And it's not because Nolan turned around and was like, I have auditioned thousands of mm-hmm. young men and I've auditioned thousands of young men with combinations of other young <laughs> yeah. men thousands of times. Yeah. Harry Styles is the one person that made me go, wow. <laughs> And I don't know, again, because yeah. going back like before me seeing full interviews with him mm-hmm. and actually like doing my research, before I found out he liked Talladega Nights, I'd be like, cunt. Yeah. Now, I'm like, fair play, cunt. Yeah. And also, also, 
looking into it, he's too posh to really know who Harry Styles was. A hundred percent. He's not going to be listening to yeah. fucking One Direction CDs. The man, the man doesn't have a smartphone or a phone. I love that about him. I, I really <laughs> like Christopher Nolan, man. The more I hear about him, the more I fucking... I want him to sit me down and just yeah. give me the harshest roast of my entire <laughs> life. Like, about anything. It could be about the mental health. It could be about my physical face. He could just make a biopic of you, I think, and that would... I think that the Christopher me. Nolan biopic of you would, would just destroy you. Yeah, because he'd make like a picture book. I'd be like, oh, I love graphic novels. Too. Yeah, it'd be great. he'd make a picture book that's nine seconds long and filmed on a fucking Nokia 3210. <laughs> there you go, mate. That's what you're worth. See you in a bit. <laughs> so yes, Harry Styles is the game. What I want to do with the game yeah. is I want to take Harry Styles uh, song titles mm. or lyrics and yeah. I want to pair them with scenes that he's in in Dunkirk. Right, I want to yeah. make it. I want to make a little nice little mesh. I don't know what the game is. I don't know how right. we score points, and I don't know. That's fine. I haven't. I tried thinking of something better. Yeah, this was it. I quite like this because I've already got one. So you could do okay. when he's on the train, mm-hmm. and he's been through hell, and he's sat yeah. with somebody who's seen him at his worst, at his most like yeah. get out of this boat to be shot by Germans, yeah, 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 so that I can live, right? And he sat across from that dude, yeah, yeah. And he's coming in to back into Britain. And you could do the, you know, it's not the same as it was. Ooh. As it was. I get it. That's it's good, man. It's not the same as it was. Okay. Great song, by the way. Uh, so I've, got one. I've got one where they get on the boat and they head down down into the, the, like the belly of the boat to get tea and jam mm-hmm. bread. Nice. The jam bread, watermelon sugar high. You know there I mean? we go. He gets a nice little watermelon sugar high. It's a little. See, this works. See, this We're works. Now I, something. I've got one more. Go on. So you've got the soldiers in the water with the mm-hmm. by the minesweeper, and the Luftwaffe plane crashes in to the water, setting fire. Yeah, yeah. To the oil. Yeah. And yeah, you light up my life like nobody oh my else. God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a bad game on my part. This is very short-sighted. <laughs> Fuck me. That's a brutal one. All right, yeah, you win that. Uh, you win that. Oh, I just um, thought of it while I was hanging up my washing earlier. I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when they're in the ocean and like, yeah. you know, you, I guess when he's swimming in the ocean, you could play mm. his famous song, Music for a Sushi Restaurant. Uh, yes, yes, because that's where fish live. He was yes. in. See, I mean, I, I, I tried I, to go a different direction rather than laughing at a hundred men on fire. Ben, there's only one direction, and it's laughing at a hundred men on in fire. the pin, in the pin, <laughs> get in the sea. You're next in the sea. That's what the worst. <laughs> that was the worst. That was the worst. What are you rating Dunkirk, Ben? <laughs> uh, <laughs> This this is legitimately one of my favorite films of all time. Oh my god! There is the rewatchability on it is phenomenal. Every single time I watch this, it breaks me. Every single time I watch it, it breaks me for a different reason. Once you have the information of the later parts of mm-hmm. the film, in the early parts of the film, it's fucking diabolical to watch mm. these people walk into what you know is going to be their death sentence. Yeah, it's brutal. If I could it- give it the fattest ten. The fattest ten. The it's, fattest ten. This is the uh, best Nolan movie so far. I, I mean, okay, I I'm genuinely incredibly happy 
to mm. have brought a film, a director that you were like, I hate this guy. It's not for me, but we'll mm. it'll be homework, and we'll just I'll just I'll trudge through it. Remember I'm how much really... I tried to talk us out of doing this series because <laughs> yeah. I was like, but I don't think I can do Nolan. <laughs> I really don't think. And I can so do I'm it. really glad that rather than this being an ordeal, you found some films along the way like yeah. this, where you're like, this is incredible. This is genuinely like a life changing movie. Yeah, for me like, it's not. But uh, so I'm going to go seven. Okay, maybe, maybe six. Ooh, I mean, we can all be wrong once in a while. You know right, I mean? Exactly. Six. Yeah. Fuck me, mate. You're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, the six comes from the disappointment <laughs> that uh, this this is Nolan films are very much like my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. This one isn't. It's a shame That's to fair. have a, a film in his filmography that doesn't blow my tits off in the mm. same way that the other ones do. So the film objectively is like an eight. But I, I put in a few points okay. to factor in my personal disappointment that it's yeah, not yeah. for me. It's a selfish That's understandable. Rating, you know? I mean, it has to be, though, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I'm not has rating. to be. This film's either for you or against. I'm not giving someone else's rating. I'm giving my rating. So go fuck yourselves. <laughs> 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 Comic Corner? I have got a mint one. Uh, it is from Theos Ben Ooh, on friend of Instagram. The pod friend of the pod dear friend of the pod mm. he commented on our fuck one sec sorry i'm trying to find the screenshot and i've been yeah, taking okay. screenshots of all these fucking adverts to show up on like magic card websites and it's just about big animators <laughs> <laughs> saving them for later it's called big size disciple and then the, <laughs> the woman with the big tits on big size disciple has a speech bubble saying your size always surprise me <laughs> this is all staying in by the way <laughs> <laughs> so comment corner theos ben commented on our on one of our interstellar reels i've wanted to watch interstellar for a long time but just never got around to it i really wanted to watch it before listening to your episode on it though and i'm so glad i have you guys as a reason to finally watch this masterpiece fat Ten. <sighs> nice how wonderful is that feeling? That's a, that's a great feeling. I love that he went out and watched the oh. film just to listen to an episode of this show. Oh. That's the sweetest fucking thing on the planet. That's also, the, the fact it was a fat 10 for him as well. Hell Inc- yeah. Fucking incredible. That's a good feeling. That's a incredible. good feeling. Yeah. I've got one on Instagram on our Fire in the Sky reel mm-hmm. from our friends at Woofcat Films. Now, for those of you who don't know, Woofcat Films made the Christmas tapes. Uh, Infrared. With, infrared. A whole bunch the of great girl. films. The other girl. But the Christmas tapes uh, came out on Blu-ray recently. It did. Featuring none other than yours truly on the back of the case. Giving our, our review, review of the movie. Got our yeah. first review on the back of a Blu-ray. Mm. And we're giving away a copy of that on our Instagram. So we're giving away two. Two copies. Two so copies. get on our Instagram. And that way, not only can you drop in comment corner along the way, mm. try your hand at getting on this episode, on the next episode... You Do can it. see Woofcat commenting on Fire in the Sky saying, we watched this in Vegas and fell asleep. We're wild. They are fucking wild, man, because in all fairness, that sounds like my ideal Vegas trip. I mean, now it does. Five years yeah. ago, very different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, two years ago. Uh, and I'd have been yeah, like, yeah. yes, please. But in a way, I feel like going to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and staying in the hotel room and watching a movie is somehow more punk rock. 100%. Like, going to the Vatican and doing a shit on the floor, punk rock. What's the punk rock thing to do in Vegas? 
Stay in. How do you wipe with that, though? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you take your own TP, or do you there's, just walk around with a shitty arsehole for a bit? There's paper available in the books. Because you're going to be, like, you're going to be <laughs> in prison. Like, almost a bit. Oh, maybe it's a defense tactic, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Sorry, boys. Can't put, some, can't put something in there if there's something coming out. Sorry, mate. And you know it's clean. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not harboring anything up there. I mean, that's all, we've, that's all we've got for Comic Corner this week. But if you would like to be part of Comic Corner, you know what to do. Find us on Instagram or TikTok, or we've got a Discord. You can comment on any of the large amount of content that we put out every week for your and new listeners' benefits. Hmm. Make sure you go follow us on the socials, guys. Thank you so fucking much for hanging out with us this week. It is an absolute pleasure. We love and appreciate each and every one of you very, very, very really fucking, fucking much. Support and now, recently is mental. And now we're going to take a moment for Ben to do his inspiring moment to set you up right oh, for the shit, week. Yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah, I know. So you're going to have to ad lib. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just going to cosplay as society. Bear in mind, Ben, we've watched Dunkirk. So what lessons did you learn? that you can give the, these people listening to us the same kind of hope that 700 little ships turning up on the horizon gives Kenneth Branagh. Okay. No pressure. Cool. It's, it's an easy do. Yeah. And I'm just going to do what society always does and tell everyone to consume. Okay. So, let's live our weeks like we're trying to make Kenneth Branagh cry. And not in a Helena Bonham McCartan on... Frankenstein set kind of way because that was from the penis we're talking about from the eye holes do your bit you know what I mean like just look to your right and look to your left just help someone out a little bit or don't Churchill it and just sit in a fucking chair back in the ivory tower and watch them all die I don't know (laughs) who am I to tell you how to live your life I love you